Good evening. Nice to be with you tonight. See it's turning dark out there. When I arrived, the, the gates were locked to the car park, and there were people blocking the way. And I saw people do rude hand gestures at each other in the car. No, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. I want to read um, from the book of Acts again. I'm going to read from a, a chapter that I mentioned this morning. It's Acts chapter 15. And what's called uh, the Council at Jerusalem, where the early church had to face their big decision. Um, things had started happening amongst the Gentiles. They were, they were coming to faith, and the Jewish Christians were concerned because um, it seemed that people were being part of the church without becoming Jews, and it was a major problem to them. So we'll read this. It's, it's quite lengthy, but it's... it's uh, it's worth reading it. We'll start at verse 5. Um, the first few verses tell us that Paul and Barnabas had got into sharp debate with, uh, with some folk who were insisting that Jewish customs had to be followed. In verse 5 it says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent and as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And they go on to write a letter to these new Christians. Tonight we're going to talk about a topic that Eddie O'Sullivan, the Irish rugby coach, has got no concept of. Change. And it's a sore point with many of us, but we'll have to get over it. Um, By the way, do you know how many Irish Baptists it takes to change a light bulb? Just one, because any more than that would be considered ecumenical. (laughs) It's all right, I'm an Irish Baptist, I can say it. Tonight I do want to talk about change. And uh, sometimes when, when I'm asked to speak on change, I, I want to call it um, <laughs> the dirtiest six-letter word in the English language. 
because for many people, that's how they feel about change. Um, we'll not call it that because we were saying this morning about how there's always somebody out there who's just going, come on, offend me. So I'll not do it for the sake of that person. But um, I went looking for another title for it. And that's when I found this phrase. And actually, this quote. Rather than feel like the rug is being pulled out from under your feet, you should learn how to dance on a shifting carpet. So tonight I've called Dance on a Shifting Carpet. I love that phrase because it actually catches the spirit of what I want us to look at tonight in this idea of keeping the dream alive. As I said this morning, we're going to look over over these Sundays that I'm with you at the dream that Jesus left with his followers of changing their world. And we're going to see how the early church managed to see that happen in a very real way. And for tonight, it's about how they learned to cope with change, to be open to God doing new things through them. And for them, rather than being taken by surprise by what God decided to do, rather than feel like the rug was being pulled out from under their feet, they learned how to dance on a shifting carpet. To be honest, though, that's not just a characteristic of the early church, because God's people right through Scripture had to learn the same thing. And before we look at Acts, I thought we could think of a couple of episodes that, that illustrate it. You think of someone like Abraham. And God's call to him to leave his homeland and go on a brand new journey to where he didn't know, out of pagan Ur of the Chaldees, called to be the founder of a new people and called to cope with all sorts of things that that God threw at him. Joseph, another one who faced major upheaval, snatched from comfort in his father's house and where he was the favoured son and then all of a sudden finds himself in God's providence, in captivity in Egypt, where eventually he would become the saviour of God's people. And then in Egypt, Moses, who had a, a really comfortable life, who's removed from Egypt and ends up leading a whole nation through a desert for 40 years. David, minding his own business as a shepherd one day, the next day he's fighting a giant, and then not long after that, he's the king of a nation. And you read his story and everything that happened in his time as king. You think of someone like Jeremiah the prophet. A prophet who, who found himself giving a message to people who had been snatched away from their land. The land that God had promised to give them. And his message to them was that they wouldn't be going back to that land in their lifetimes. You can't imagine how that news came across to people whose whole history was built Around the promise of this land. They used to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah came and told them now to pray for the peace of the city that they were in, in Babylon. And then you have Daniel and his friends who were part of that people in captivity. Who had to get used to it. And they learned what it was to be God's people at the very top of a pagan government. And then just as God's people were probably getting used to the fact that they would be there... God decides to put it into the heart of a man called Nehemiah. A man with a great job and great security. And yet God calls him away from that. To leave it and head back and rebuild Jerusalem. Just a few. The list could go on. God doing all kinds of new things with his people. For them it would have been very easy to feel like the rug was being pulled out from under them. But instead, 
They learned how to dance on a shifting carpet. God's people have always had to be open to him leading them in new ways. Doing things that are surprising. God is a God of constant surprises. And that brings us to the early church. And their particular challenge to be open to God doing a new thing. Jesus had told his disciples that the good news of the gospel was to go right across the world. It wasn't just something for the Jews. Now, of course, that that wasn't just a message that Jesus had. Back in the Old Testament, God had always said that the purpose of Israel being blessed was that other people would come to know him. Back in Abraham's day, the word that came to him, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The writer of Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But he understood why, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The prophet Isaiah was very explicit about it. My blessings are for Gentiles too. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Just a selection of quotes from the Old Testament. We could mention so many more. The good news wasn't just for the Jews. And yet Israel were, for the most part, actually quite bigoted and sectarian. They didn't take this challenge from God seriously that they were supposed to be a blessing to the Gentiles. In fact, they actually detested others, the Samaritans and Gentiles. But God's plan was for that to change. And you can start to track the change in the early church in Acts chapter 8. When Philip takes the good news to their closest neighbours, but the people they really despised, the Samaritans, the people we would class as the other sort. And just as he's seeing people start to respond there, Philip's whisked away from that to explain the gospel to an Ethiopian official who would take that message back to Africa with him. And then, of course, there was God's big move. His encounter with Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul is heading to Damascus to imprison Christians. And then God meets him. And we get this statement from God about Paul. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. That triggers other events, such as Peter with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter having all his prejudices challenged and And being shown that the Gentiles needed to hear. And then Barnabas in chapter 11 being sent out by the church to to check out and to verify what was happening in this new movement. And then of course on from that Paul's great missionary journeys. This must have been exciting for the early church but also quite frightening. Because it was going to be a very different looking church to what they were used to. It wasn't just the Jewish one anymore. And it was asking the Jews to swallow an awful lot. All of the traditions they held dear were being challenged. Could people actually become Christians without becoming Jews? What about all the laws that had been such an important part of their lives? The big crunch came in the passage that we read in in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem. When the church leaders got together to hear what God might be saying to them. And as we read... Paul and Barnabas told the stories of what they had encountered amongst the new Gentile believers. Peter also shared his experiences. And then James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, reminded them about what Peter had said and shared with them 
like all good preachers, what the scripture had to show. Telling them, reminding them what, what God had said. Afterward I will return and I will restore the fallen kingdom of David. From the ruins I will rebuild it. And I will restore it so that the rest of humanity might find the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine. And the penny was dropping. So the decision was made. It became official, if you like. God's church was for all kinds of people, not just for the Jews. You know, as they, as they faced this, as, as they waited up, they really had a choice to make. They couldn't deny that God was doing something. They couldn't deny that the Spirit of God was at work. It was obvious. So here was their choice. They could either follow the prompting of the Spirit and be open to this new thing. Or they could choose to dig their heels in. They could insist on things being done the way they had always been done around here. Or they could go with what God was doing. Thankfully, rather than hold on to their ideas and their structures and try to fit the Spirit of God into their structure, they made the structures fit what the Spirit of God was doing. Or to put it another way, instead of having the rug pulled from under them, they learned how to dance on a shifting carpet. I guess that example in the life of the church is is a great example for churches on how to cope with change. They made sure they knew what the essentials were. They got the basics right. And then they allowed a liberty in other issues where people had different opinions. Not an irresponsible freedom, mind you, that, that walked all over the feelings and concerns of others. The letter that they sent out made that clear. But neither were the concerns or the foibles of others going to be allowed to strangle the life out of the church. And of what God wanted to do. I mentioned this morning their humility as they made this decision where they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They just sensed that this was where God was leading them. And together they committed to following that path. Not that it was easy, don't underestimate it. It was hugely uncomfortable for many of them. And in fact, as you read the story, as it develops, you you find that, that at times they were tempted to slip back into the old ways to make it easier for themselves and, and to protect themselves from hassle. Actually, we even find Peter, the one who started the whole move, really, slipping back into his old ways. And let me just read that to you from, from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul is writing, I opposed him to his face. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Paul never really was one to mince his words or or doubt very much. He was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. So they they were tempted to to slip back. But despite their setbacks, they stuck to their task. And the church exploded all over the known world. Lives transformed as God did new things. 
I guess as you look around this congregation, you see a pile of people who have come from probably quite a range of backgrounds and probably quite a range of churches as well. Maybe some of you have no church background at all. And I guess if, if we were all allowed our say in what church should be like and how church should be run, what we should be doing, we'd all have very different answers. Most of them probably affected by the church culture that we've absorbed in our past. Because we all have a, a load of baggage and we all have our own opinions and, and maybe most of our opinions are valid ones as well. Well, I have no idea what your baggage is. I have no idea what your opinions are in church. I don't know what you think are the indispensables in church and what is okay to change. I just want to ask you this. How much are you open to God doing new things to reach a whole new people? As the population of Northern Ireland changes so quickly, particularly with the rapidly increasing numbers of foreign nationals coming in here, are you open to new opportunities and new ways of doing things? And perhaps even more importantly, as the church on the whole gets progressively older and younger generations drift away from church in their droves, how much are we willing to change the dressings, to change the structures, to get the message across? Are we prepared to listen to what God might be saying to us? Are we ready if he asks us to think in totally new ways about what it means to be church here and now, today? Are we prepared to face up to the reality that right across the board in the church today, we are not reaching very many new people with the gospel? And that something is going to have to change if we want to see that happen? Last year we did a mission day in our own church in Green Island. And we learned some uncomfortable facts. Green Island's not a big place. Around about 8,000 people live in the, in, in, the, in the region that is Green Island. And in the churches in Green Island, the total number of people who would be there on a Sunday is about 850. Maybe close on 200 in our church. And at least half of us don't live in Green Island. But even if we did, the reality is that the population of Green Island, somewhere less than 10%, even goes to church. Let alone has a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what the statistics would be around this church in the same kind of catchment area. Here in student land, I suspect the statistics might be even lower than 10%. Now as we think about that, does that not move us? Does that not make us think that perhaps some of what we do is going to have to change if we're going to get the message of the good news of Jesus to these people? The message doesn't change. The message had better not change. 
But maybe the way we try to get it out is going to have to change. I was relatively young when I started my pastorate in Ballycrocken in uh, 95. I was still in my 20s. And uh, charged with, with trying to lead a church through some change. A church because it was Bangor with quite an aging population but also with a lot of young people. And in the early days it was, it was, a, it was a big challenge because there were some people who, who didn't want to see change. And if I had a bad day I knew the people in the church I needed to go and visit <laughs> to be encouraged and, and built up. And there was a particular couple, um, some of you will know, Raymond and Mary Doherty. And uh, I used to call and see them. And uh, I remember one day just chatting with Raymond about the struggle of change. And he was never, if you knew him, he was never one to mince his words. And he, he didn't always put things very politely. But he, he sat across the room from me and he started wagging his finger. And he said, listen, young fella. I've had my day in church. But my grandchildren go to this church. You jolly well better make sure you keep them here. <laughs> and he really meant it. And, you know, what a fantastic help that was to a young pastor trying to take a church forward. Someone who knew what was really important and whose maturity meant that the church didn't just have to be done for him. But that he was open to our church doing new things to reach and disciple a new generation. And maybe it boils down to this one question. Are we going to be church only for those who are already part of it? Are we going to be church for those who haven't yet Come to Christ. Is church all about me and what I want from it? Or is it about making sure that the good news of the kingdom goes to everyone around us? And the answer to those questions will determine just how open to change we really are, or how hung up we are on what we want. It will reveal how open we are to God doing something new through us. Here's an interesting thought and maybe a salutary lesson. In Acts 8, just before the developments in the story I mentioned earlier, with the move to take the gospel beyond the Jews, Jesus' challenge to his followers to, to take the good news everywhere, not to keep it to themselves. Well, actually, they didn't do it for quite some time. So they needed a bit of encouragement to do it. And in their case, the encouragement came in the form of persecution. That scattered them. And got them out. Stopped them hoarding the message for themselves. Stopped them being merely a church for the people who were already part of them. And as I read that, I, I, I wonder about the church today. And I ask, what will it take for us? To be really serious about reaching the people who are outside of the church. And what changes might we have to make if that's going to become a reality? Are we ready for the adventure that God might want to take us on? To impact a whole new generation? For it will be an adventure. 
And it will take us to places we've never been before. And it will ask us questions that we've never faced before. And it will ask us to do things that we've never done around here before. But I I don't know about you, I, I think that's an exciting place to be. Yeah, sure, it's a challenge. And sure, it'll be uncomfortable, but is that not going to be worth whatever it costs to do? Now and again, I get email devotions sent through to me. And a while ago, I was sent this by an old favorite of mine, Max Licato. And he wrote this. There is a rawness and a wonder to life. Pursue it. Hunt for it. Sell out to get it. Don't listen to the whines of those who have settled for a second-rate life and want you to do the same so they won't feel guilty. Your goal is not to live long. It's to live. Jesus said the options are clear. On one side there is the voice of safety. You can build a fire in the hearth, stay inside and stay warm and dry and safe. You can't get hurt if you never get out, right? You can't be criticised for what you don't try, right? You can't fall if you don't take a stand, right? You can't lose your balance if you never climb, right? So don't try it. Take the safe route. Or you can hear the voice of adventure. God's adventure. Instead of building a fire in your hearth, build a fire in your heart. Follow God's impulses. Adopt the child. Move overseas, teach the class, change careers, run for office, make a difference. Sure it isn't safe, but what is? You think staying inside out of the cold is safe? Jesus disagrees. Whoever tries to keep his life safe will lose it. And then the kiddo finishes by saying, I like the words of General Douglas MacArthur when he was 78. And he said, Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up interest wrinkles the soul. I just wonder today, is God not asking his church to move out of its comfort zone to find his lost children? Is God not asking us maybe to think about doing all kinds of things we've never had to do before? For some of us, that's maybe a scary thought. It might feel like the rug is being pulled out from under our feet. But I'd prefer to think of it as God asking us to learn how to dance on a shifting carpet.